0: If everyone could please find a seat, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we honor, recognize, acknowledge you as the one, true, living God, holy, righteous Here and gracious, kind, and long-suffering, full of loving kindness. You are all these things and so much more. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for revealing your Son to us for saving us from our sin, for forgiving us, for justifying us, for accepting us in the beloved, and giving us eternal life with you. Father, help that realization and that truth and that reality, help us to understand it more and more and more, Lord, so that those truths, these truths, and many others, Lord, that you have shown us in your word, would drive us to serve you and honor you in all our ways because of what who you are and what you have done for us father our prayer is that you help us to lay aside every weight to help us to turn all our affections our attentions unto you unto things eternal Lord, that you would be honored and glorified through the worship of your word, through song, through our thoughts. Lord, be glorified in our midst today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. We stand as we begin to worship our Lord and Savior. We're starting with hymn number Fourteen. Praise the Lord the Almighty.
2: Can you hear me? Oh, okay.
3: For our scripture reading this morning, you can turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 21. Acts chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 15 through 26. Beginning in verse 15. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Nathan of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are coming among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, And all may know that those things, whereof they are informed concerning thee, are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly, and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple, to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you, by your grace, have given to us the sacred scriptures. Your word given to us, preserved for us down through the ages, that it may be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, as we worship you now by hearing the word and by studying the word, we are saying that you are worthy to be heard, you are worthy to be obeyed, and we need to believe the truth that you have revealed to us. Lord, as you know, we live in a fallen world, and we are in a fallen world that surrounds us with lies and deception. At the same time, your word tells us that our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so what we need is the light of your word to shine in our hearts so that we may be conformed to the truth, that our mindset might be right. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would now accompany the preached word, apply it to us, and through it make your people more like Christ and do a mighty work of grace in each one that is present. For your glory, we ask these things, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, again, brethren, so good to be together, so good to have our Bibles in our hands um, this morning, and so thankful, amen, that uh, the Lord would be again so gracious unto us as we have indeed been going verse by verse as we have you been coming here verse by verse through the book of acts and uh, such a glorious book that god has certainly uh, put into the into the canon for us amen the the inspired church history and uh, we take it up here again this morning and just by way of remembrance amen because as we go verse by verse brother uh, uh, Dean preached last week and so here we are back together here in the book of Acts and this morning we do indeed set our feet brethren upon another indispensable and most noteworthy God ordained part and parcel of Paul's holy and arduous calling. It's really interesting when we consider this, beginning here in chapter 22, and particularly in verse number 15, and carrying on into chapters 23, and chapters 24, and chapter 25, and chapter 26, and chapter 27, and chapter 28. In other words, brethren, the rest of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit of God has led, leads Luke here, if you will, to give us a segment, a portion of a four-year period of Paul's life. And as we move forward throughout these chapters, we're going to see that Paul spends these four years as a prisoner of the Roman government. It is quite a stunning thing when you consider this. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 28 to the very end again. And we'll see Paul here again, as I said, chapter 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, and chapter 28 to the very end of the book of Acts. We, we read these words. Look at chapter 28. Look there, if you would, at verse number 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. And Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass after these days that Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he sounded the men and brethren. Though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And so again, for the following, for the rest of the book, these these four years that, that Luke records, we see the Apostle Paul who is taken in and is a prisoner of the Roman government. Of course, what takes place here again, brethren, God's glorious purposes, his glorious providence, brethren, as we know, it is during this time, that the Apostle Paul, God takes that time when, as Paul is a prisoner, and Paul then writes what is known as we have in our canon as the what? The prison what? Epistles. So as God has got him there in prison, Paul's busy writing, amen? He's writing these prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, right? We know this, Colossians and Philemon. So three letters to the church and one very personal letter to Philemon. It's interesting what George Whitfield. Once said about John Bunyan, you remember John Bunyan, a man who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, and by the way, 59 other tracts and books that he wrote, but he's most famous for writing The Pilgrim's Progress, interesting Whitfield said of Bunyan's 59 works, they smell of the prison, he said, uh, ministers never write or preach so well as when under the cross, For the spirit of Christ and the glory of Christ rests upon them. And so, again, this is really what's happening with Paul. He's going to become a prisoner. He's going to be put in prison. He's going to be guarded. And yet during that time, God just uses him, amen, to give us these other four letters in our canon. Well, as we move along in our text, let us consider for just a moment. The uh, as I like to call it, the upcoming attractions. Those things, brother, as we move forward, and just let me give you just kind of an outline of where we go from here. Now, here in verses fifteen through forty, we're going to see that there's a riot, and Paul's arrested at the temple. So this is what is awaiting Paul. Remember remember Agabus? Remember I said we're not throwing the prophet Agabus under the bus because exactly what he prophesied earlier in the, in the, in the book is exactly what happened. Amen. There's no open prophecies. There's no missed, missed prophecies. It is indeed what God said would happen. In chapter 22, verses 1 through 22, he, Paul then is, stands before the mob. As he's arrested, he stands and gives a defense before the mob. In, in Acts chapter twenty-two, verses one, in verses twenty-three through thirty, his interrogation by the Romans, and and brethren, I can't wait to get to these sections of the book of Acts because there is so many glorious things. In Acts twenty-three, one through ten, he's interrogated interrogated by the Sanhedrin. So we're going to break these things up as we go along, as we're going to see again these four years of Paul's life and what was taking place. In 23, 11 through 35, there's that conspiracy, another one, amen, to murder Paul. And so we're going to look at that together. His sermon before Felix, and brethren, what a glorious opportunity that the Lord gave Paul in the last four years of this portion of his ministry. He lives five more years, roughly, but in these last four in the book of Acts, he gets to stand before Felix. He gets to stand before Drusilla and Felix privately, amen, it's an amazing thing. And then he gets to stand before Festus. And he gets to preach unto him. Remember that trembling thing? What an amazing thing the Lord is going to do for him. And then finally, in Acts 25, through the chapter 26, he stands before King Agrippa and Bernice. And again, he says, Methinks it's thankful to the Lord that he would give me an opportunity to preach before all of them. Now, let us begin this morning as we, again, as we're going to trek our way through these portions of Acts, Lord willing. Let us begin here of This great inspired record of this calling that God had put upon Paul for the last four years here in his life. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17 of our text. Look there. We're going to read some of these in, in chunks and portions like we often do. Look at verse number 15. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also a certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought one with them Nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. Verse 17, and when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Well, there's even a lot here as we look in here. But Luke begins this hallowed chapter in Paul's life with the words, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. It's an amazing thing. And in verse 17, he affirms. Their safe arrival in Jerusalem. Why is that so important, brethren? As he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and we indeed arrived in Jerusalem safely, as we were called there. The long and arduous miles, brethren, think of this, what we've been through as he is heading towards Jerusalem. The miles that he was on his feet, that he trekked by foot. The miles that he was in the ships. Remember, he's trading, changing ships and he's going that way. He's finally going to see here, brethren, in our text, that which God had called him to do through all of that, come to fruition. Do you remember what his main goal, what was his main thought, what was his main concern since Macedonia? Do you remember what we've been seeing here in the book of Acts? This Wednesday night, I'd have somebody answer, but we remember, he had taken up what? A collection. They had taken up a collection from the Gentile churches, and his, his goal Brethren, his aim, if you will, his heart's desire was to take that and bring it to the poor saints up there in Jerusalem. And brethren, this is the fulfillment of that work of God. It is a most glorious thing. This is why he spends so much time. In fact, Paul recites him getting to Jerusalem and bringing that, if you will, that glorious uh, collection to the saints there. Look at Acts 24. He, he, he recites that for us and tells us exactly What happened? Look at Acts 24. Look there, if you would, at verse 17. Acts 24. Look there at verse number 17. Look what it says. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor tumult. So Paul, again, is reciting here. He's telling him the reason I came up here, one of the reasons was that I brought the offering up to the poor saints, which was a glorious relief for them who were obviously there, amen? So again, the purpose was to take the offering, was to obviously preach the gospel along the way, but to bring relief to the Jewish Christians who were there in Jerusalem. Now, this trek, as he left Macedonia, amen, it was about 60 miles. It was a long trek leaving where he left from, from Caesarea up to Jerusalem, which is, of course, far too long. We've seen that, right? Spending time on foot, spending time in the ship, so what, is the, what, is the, what does Luke tell us here under the inspiration of God? That while he's on his way, he lodges, the Lord opens a door, and they, and they were allowed to lodge with one called Nason, amen? And Luke tells us in verse 16 that he was an old disciple. <laughs> what does that mean? He's old like me? Well, he was probably well along in years, yes. But more uh, to the point is that he was a faithful, the old disciple, Luke calls him, that he was a faithful minister. He was a faithful disciple of Christ. And so he opened his home up there to those who were taking this glorious offering up to Jerusalem. It's interesting. One pastor said this about Nason. After this introduction, we never hear from him or about him again. It's most interesting in Acts. Nason is made immortal by a single line in the greatest book ever written, the eternal word of God. This is it. This is what's spoken of him. This is what is said of him. This, again, is the instrument which God uses as Paul is taking this uh, offering up to Jerusalem. Again, interesting how that works, isn't it, brethren? Now look there, if you would, in Acts 21, verses 18 and 19. So the Lord, again, is providing along the way as he goes. Look at verses 18 and 19 there. As the brethren receive them gladly. Verse 18 And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when they had saluted them, he declared particularly, that's an interesting word that draws our attention immediately, particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Well, it doesn't take much rocket science to read what, what Luke wrote here. He simply says the day after arriving in Jerusalem, Paul and those who traveled with him had a meeting with James and the elders. And you remember, brethren, James is the leader and spokesman of the church at Jerusalem, along with the elders, amen? Just as he was at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, which comes into play very shortly, brethren, in our text. This is what's so amazing is God unifies and he brings these things together. That important, that that landmark council that they had in Jerusalem comes really into play doctrinally and everything else here in our text and we'll see that here in just a moment paul reports to them in great detail as i said he took great detail the holy Ghost's effectual working of the gospel that he was preaching to the gentiles and this is again is so important as he arrives here in jerusalem remember what jerusalem the church at jerusalem was made up mainly of who brethren Mainly of what? Jewish Christians. They were Jews who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So here comes these Gentiles bringing this offering. And there's always that suspect thing. You know what I'm saying? There's always something suspect. There always was between Jews and Gentiles. They always looked a little bit crossways, a little bit funny at the Gentiles. And again, one of Paul's purposes was to show that the Gentile churches were coming and bringing aid to you Jewish men and women in the church there. So Luke... (laughs) He simply summarizes, if you will, their glad tidings of Paul's missionary report in verse number 20. Listen, this was a pattern of the early church. This was a pattern of the early missionaries. Look at verse number 20 there. Look what it says. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Again, brethren, this was a pattern. This is what they did. It's interesting uh, as we consider here in the book of Acts. Look at what he said. They heard what God was doing, and they glorified the Lord. Well, remember Peter, when he was giving his report to the church. And again, brethren, the local church comes really, again, into prominence before us. The importance of the local church, the, the height at which they would hold the local church, and they viewed the local church, which, brethren, I pray we could have that view of the local church. That we would understand the importance of the local church. Can I say that again? That we would understand the importance of the local church. We see it over and over again. They were reporting to their sending churches. Here Paul reports to, their sending, to one of their sending churches. He gives them a great report. What do they say? They gladly gave glory to who, Paul? To me? To, to, to anybody? No, to the Lord. They gave glory to the Lord. Look at here. It's the same thing. Again, this pattern. Look at... Acts chapter 11, just, again, there's a reason why we're we're doing this. Do you remember the book of Acts is a book that was written as a pattern for the church? Amen? There's doctrines in there that are, of course, very important, but mainly it's the pattern. What did they do? And was then that pattern to be carried on, on into until the Lord comes again? Yes, I say yes, 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 every bit of it, brethren. This is a pattern-setting church. This is a growth of the early church. And we can, by no means, by men's imaginations, men's thoughts, change that. We see this pattern. Look at Acts chapter 11. Again, keeping in mind, this is what they did. Look at verse 16. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the the like gift... as he did unto us, so believe, so who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let me read that, for as much then as God gave them the like gift, as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God, listen verse 18, and when they heard these things, there's again, he's giving a glorious report, about the work that God is doing, they heard what God was doing, and look at their response, then they held their peace, and glorified who? God saying, Amen. So again, this pattern: there's a report. The missionaries go out. The missionaries come back. The missionaries give a what? A report to the local church, and they give all the glory to God. Amen. That's important. Well, look at Acts 15 again. Just as a pattern, this is just a couple of them. But I want, I'm I'm driving this point home and making this point because it is so important. Again, as we structure our local church, it shall be structured according to the pattern we find in the scriptures. Amen. Look at Acts 15, look at verses 3 and 4, look again here, look what the Bible says. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done. So we see a pattern here. The missionaries going out, can I say it again, brethren, because it's important. The missionaries being sent out by a local church, they going out, doing the work, they come back and they give a report to the local church, the sending church that sent them. You say, well, why is that? So important. Well, because we have missionary, a missionary in particular in our own church, don't we? And you've seen what's happened. When Dean and his family go to India, they come back, and what do they do? Remember last time they came back? And Lord willing, they'll be going again here sometime this year. But they go to India, and what did they do when they got back? Do you remember? They don't. Listen, brother, we don't do things just because it's a good man-made idea. Actually, we're following the pattern. What does he do? He comes back and gives a report to this local church. He gives a report to the church in New Mexico. He gives a report to the church in Texas. He's doing exactly what Paul and these men are doing. And why is that? It's so important, brethren. It's so glorious for us to hear the glorious things that God is doing. We we, we live in America. I mean, we're spoiled rotten brats, for the most part. Isn't it wonderful to hear the things and the struggles and the things that are going on in other parts of the world and our missionary comes back and reports to us the glorious things that God is doing? This is what they did, brother. This is why you pattern yourself after the Bible, after what's taking place here. And these are the things that we see that are so important in our text. Now look, there's so much more. Look at verses twenty. Through twenty-two Acts chapter twenty-one. Look at verses twenty through twenty-two. And the Bible says, "I love saying that." The Bible says, "God said it." This is what He said. Look at verse twenty. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto Him, "Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews that are uh, that uh, there are which believe." they are zealous for the law. And they are informed. And again, brethren, you remember, that word informed there is very important. It's the word catechized. (laughs) It's a very important word, right? We we run, we, we Baptists, we run away from words like that, but actually they're biblical words. Remember, we looked at that a while back. They were catechized. They were informed on what? What were they catechized on? What was being said? What was being taught about Paul? I'm glad you asked. And Luke tells us here. He says, And they were informed of thee, catechized, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Well, brethren, nothing could be further from the truth. And this is what's so interesting. Again, another, another lesson on rumors, another lesson on gossip, another lesson that we see here that the church had to deal with. Such a dangerous thing to the fellowship, brother rumors and if you will hearsay and things like that very dangerous to the body and we certainly see that here while James and the elders received Paul and the others gladly Luke records that many of the Jewish Christians in the Jerusalem church still had some doubt about Paul they were still looking remember what I said they were looking kind of scan-eyed at him kind of a little bit off just a little bit why were they doing that He says, many thousands, James says. Many thousands. Myriads of Jews had believed the gospel. We remember this, right? Acts chapter 2, there was 3,000. In Acts chapter 4, there was what? 5,000. In Acts chapter 6, there was myriads of Jews who believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what James is telling him. Remember, there's many thousands here, Paul, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the gospel that you preached. Many of whom, he says are still zealous for the law, and unfortunately they were giving credence to the rumors spread by the diaspora Jews. This is very important, brethren, these rumors that were being spread by the diaspora Jews, that Paul had been teaching against the Torah and the ancient customs, and the ancient Jewish customs. Remember there, verse number 21, look there again, Look what it says. And they are informed, catechized of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Now, brethren, again, this is very important to understand. This is where, again, the Jerusalem Council comes into play. The doctrines that they agreed to, the doctrines that they agreed upon. And James here is not concerned, brethren, please, He's not concerned about salvation. He and Paul had agreed on what it is for a man to be saved, amen? And where did they agree on that at? The Jerusalem Council. This is what one must do to be saved. So this is not about salvation. That's first and foremost, because many have said that Paul here eventually compromises. No, he does not. (laughs) He does not compromise the gospel ever, and neither should we. That's not what he's doing. James is not concerned about the salvation issue here. That's not what he's talking about. He's not concerned about what Paul was teaching the Gentiles because they had already agreed on what the Gentiles were to be taught. Remember? Brothers, where was that at? You can say it. The Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, and they affirm it again in verse 25 here. Look at verse 25. Look there. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only they keep themselves from things offered to idol and from blood and from strangle and from fornication. So again, if you go to Acts 15, you'll see this is what they already agree with. This is not what James is concerned one whit about. He's not concerned about this being a salvific issue. He's not concerned about what's being taught. Paul's teaching to the Gentiles. and He's not concerned at all about Paul's view of the moral law. Not for a second is he concerned about that either. They had already agreed that those brethren who were regenerate, who were truly children of God, would indeed walk after holiness, would indeed chase the Lord God and be transformed into the image of God. And where did they agree on that, brethren? Again, well, in many places, but particularly in the book of Acts, back at the Jerusalem Council. This is not... What James is concerned about we remember we have the privilege brethren of having the book of Acts we have the privilege of already have read the previous chapters Paul does not teach against the Jewish Torah in and of itself you remember what he did he circumcised who remember he circumcised Timothy back in chapter 16 well they said you're telling me not to circumcise the children he circumcised Timothy for goodness sakes an amazing thing he observed many of the Jewish festivals remember he was going up the day of Pentecost he was he was again he was uh if you will observing some of these things there's no question about that and yes brethren he did indeed take a Nazarite vow remember that we've had the privilege of being able to read this and understand this They were, uh, again, those Jews, those diaspora Jews were creating all of these rumors and all of these, if you will, backbiting concerning who Paul was, and yet Paul lived completely differently. It really is a dangerous thing to have that. Now look, and I want you to see something here again. There's so many biblical principles here, brother, and we could be here for hours, but I want you to see this, this one of the principles here that we're going to see, and it's called Christian liberty. Are you familiar with what Christian liberty is? boy sometimes brother we got to preach we got to preach a sermon sometime on christian liberty and what it is and what it isn't we were just talking the elders yesterday we were talking about i think it was us yesterday talking i was talking to somebody about it right these young, restless, reformed people get on their cameras, get on their YouTube. They're getting all tatted up. They're getting their big stogies out there blowing smoke in the, in, in the face of more conservative Christians drinking their beer like nothing's wrong and ramming it down people's throats. Now, listen, as I said yesterday, the Bible doesn't say you're not supposed to drink, although elders should not drink. <laughs> I'm going to say that right now. You shouldn't touch it. Why? Well, I don't know. I've gotten calls at midnight. I've gotten called out at 1 o'clock in the morning to go to people's homes, to go to the hospital. Now imagine if the elder is sitting at home drinking a little wine. Elders should not touch it. Teetotaling John MacArthurites. That's what we need to be. I was watching a, <coughs> a YouTube video of MacArthur here the other day, and uh, he was talking about alcohol and whether or not one should be drinking it. And he said, I've never touched it. His whole life, he's never touched it, except, he said, I went to a couple fellowships where they use wine. And he said, I think it was the real thing. But other than that, don't touch it, brethren. Wrecks families, does a lot of things. That's not what this is about. I want you to see, look at Romans chapter 14. Again, this, this principle of, of Christian liberty and a proper understanding of what the Bible and how it tells us to use our liberty Not to be smoking cigars and dramming it down conservative's throats, but rather in love and these kinds of things. That's what we've been given Christian liberty to do. But one of the main chapters on this very subject, Christian liberty, is in Romans chapter 14. Let's just read that together, brethren. Listen here what the Bible says. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall hold, be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Look at verse 5. One man esteemeth another day above another. This is Christian liberty. That's that's what's taking place. This is what Paul is saying here. As long as it's not wicked and you're not sinning, there is liberty, brethren. Look what it says. Let every man be fully what? Persuaded in his own mind. Let him understand what he's doing. Look at verse 6. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he Uh, Giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, but giveth God thanks. None of us live on to ourselves, but on to who? But on to God. This is the idea here. James' concern is not uh, those things that I talked about. Whether it's salvific, whether uh, what what he was teaching to the Gentiles, what Paul was teaching to the Gentiles. Again, he was concerned here with the unholy effects of the untrue rumors. That the Jewish the, the, the disporous Jews have sent and leaked into the church that he was a leader at. He was concerned about Paul's reputation and about what was being said about Paul. That's why he addresses this. He's saying Paul has the Christian liberty. You have the Christian liberty to do these things, to be circumcised, to follow, if you will, go to the festivals. You have this Christian liberty as long as it's not salvific in nature. And this is the idea. This is what's being said here. This is what he is uh, against, if you will. These unhorrible rumors, these unholy rumors that had been hoisted and leaked into the church, James is concerned about that. He's concerned about Paul's reputation to a degree, amen. He wants a preacher, when you preach, you should have a good reputation, this is what he's more concerned about. Look at verses, well, Acts 21, look there if you would. 23, 24, 25, and 26. Again, we will kind of group these together. Paul did not at any time teach against these things as far as a custom. If they were salvific in nature, yes, but that's not here what we're talking about. Look there if you would at verse 23. Do therefore this what we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. This is James and the elders instructing Paul to do something. Then them take and purify thyself with them. And be at charges with them that they may shave their heads. And, uh, and all may know that those things whereof they were catechized, there's that word again, concerning thee are nothing. Do you see what he's doing here? He's not compromising. He's doing what he taught throughout scriptures where, with our closing practical points, a couple of them. He's doing what we need to employ today. The very thing. He says, concerning thee are nothing but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law as touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple, signifying the accomplishment of the days of purification, until an offering should be made for each one of the men. Now, brethren, as Western Christians, we really can't grasp what Paul just did, what he is really doing here. James and the elders recommend to Paul that he should join in the purification rites of these four believers in the church. Listen, brethren, for the sake of unity, do you understand that? For the sake of unity, you remember the battle that's going on between the Gentiles and the Jews. He's simply doing this, brethren, for the sake of unity in the church. He is a mature Christian who understands what is taking place, that he's not doing this. How many times, if he's doing this for something salvific, would Paul be contradicting himself when time and time and time and time again, you cannot be saved by the law. It is by the finished work of Christ alone. That's not what he's doing, and many have accused him of compromising that. No, brethren, there's a glorious biblical principle at at work here that, that works itself in the church and keeps the local, if you will, the local fellowship, the local church together in unity. This is what he's doing. So he takes them there for the sake of unity and really to help the church at Jerusalem. He agrees to follow the elders' unction. The next day he takes the four men, purifies himself with them. He paid, brethren, listen. Paul himself paid the offering. Paul himself paid the offering for the other four men. Is Paul encouraging them to sin? Is Paul encouraging them to be saved in some other way? No, brethren. He's doing it for the sake of unity. He's doing it to help the church, which is having a great famine anyway. And they are very poor. So Paul just simply is doing this. Out of his love for Christ's church, he goes into the temple. (laughs) And this leads, brother, to where we go next. Not today, but next week, Lord willing. He goes into the temple and gives the priest notice as to when the purification is going to be accomplished. Look at verses 27. We're going to go there not this week, but I want you to see there. Look at verses 27 and 28. He pays the offerings, and then 27 says this. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, look at him, oh, the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people, he does not, he has not, in the law in this place, and further brought Greeks into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. Brethren, there's so much God is doing here, if you will. In the background, in the back, if you will, in the under scenes of what he's preparing Paul as the next four years of his life are worked out. Those coming attractions are about to begin, and this is what God is doing. This whole idea, brethren, again, let me say this again. It is of utmost importance for us to understand what's going on here. If you go to Numbers... You want to go see the Nazarite vow, go look it up. Numbers chapter 1 all the way through 25 or 26. You know what you never find about the Nazarite vow? Never. You know there's different sacrifices in the Old Testament that would do different things? There were sacrifices that were directly tied to the atonement and forgiveness. You understand that, right? There were sacrifices that they were required by God to give that were directly tied to their atonement and to forgiveness. You know what this is tied to? It's nowhere near atonement, it's nowhere near forgiveness, not even close. Paul would never again offer up something that would take the place of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. Go look. If you look it up, we don't have time this morning, but if you look it up, this vow, this offering, these sacrifices that were given by Paul himself had to do with separation. We talked about it this morning in Bible study, being set apart, being sanctified, Being holy, that's what this is. Now, brethren, there is nothing wrong with one wanting to be sanctified and set apart and to be holy unto the Lord. This is exactly what Paul is doing. He's simply following through for the good of the church, for the unity of the church, for the gospel to continue to do its work. He's simply saying, yes, I will indeed do this. I will indeed. And we're going to read this portion of scripture for our closing. I will indeed do these things. So let me just close. I know you're stunned. I'm done already. Let me just close this morning with some practical points. We see here so many biblical principles at work. So many that are so godly and so God-glorifying for the church. Paul deployed these, and so should we, brethren. It is a stunning thing for the sake of Christian unity and Christian liberty. Listen to what Paul wrote. This is what paul is doing he's he's employing deploying these things in his own life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, for the sake of unity, not compromising the gospel at listen to what he wrote, if it be possible as much as lieth in you. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, brethren, live at peace with all men. This is a demonstration of that. This is a demonstration of an accused man who is not doing what they said he was doing by any stretch of the imagination. He was indeed Paul preaching the gospel. Many were saved through the gospel. And yet this, this trouble, Satan's always busy. He's always busy stirring things up, trying to cause trouble. It's no different here. It's just in a different format, rumors and gossip, things that weren't true. Paul's just simply, for the sake of unity, as much as it lied in him, he was going to be at peace with all men. This is what he demonstrated in our text. Also, he demonstrated for the sake of the uncompromising gospel, which Paul, again, as I said, has never compromised He wrote these words, and I want you to turn with me in your Bibles because I want us to really sink this deep down as the Spirit of God sinks this deep down into our hearts, brethren. Again, this principle of becoming all things to all men that some might be saved. Again, this is what it's about. This is why he's doing it. This is his whole desire, his whole drawing is not to be saved. And again, we've looked at that, not to be saved through the works of any kind. He's simply saying, to the Jew I became a Jew. Let's read that together. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look there, if you would. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of unity in the church, for the sake of the gospel going forward, Paul writes these words for us. Look, if you would, there at verse 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse number 19. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. You see Paul's heart, his desire here, not to be saved, but to, but to further the gospel. Verse 20, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law is without the law, being not without law to God. But under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. Look at verse 22. To the weak, what? I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Look at verse 23. Why did he do it? And this I do for the gospel's sake. Do you see that there? Paul, again, completely sold out for the gospel completely and totally preaching the gospel, living out the gospel, and then when he's called upon by elders in the church in James to do something that was probably, brethren, against his, his, his grain, his understanding, how some might view it, but at the same time, because it wasn't salvific, because he wasn't depending on it for salvation, nor was he teaching that anybody else should either, he went ahead and followed through for the sake of the gospel, that many might be saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful, brethren, if we all had this attitude? The churches wouldn't be splitting right and left. There wouldn't be all this hatred for the brethren, which is unholy and unbiblical. I mean, I think uh, Howard might have quoted that this morning in 1 John. You know, hey, if you say this, then this should follow, right? If you say you love your brother and hate them, you are in what? Darkness. If we could be mature enough, brethren, as Christians, to look and say, This is not a gospel issue. This is not a gospel issue. Paul never, again, compromised on the gospel. He did not. He said, yes, Lord, I have the liberty. I have the freedom. I have the maturity. I'm going to do this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. And brethren, if we could just get a hold of this, if the Spirit of God could just impress it deep down, Into our hearts and minds, brethren. Oh, how the fellowship would be so much greater. So much sweeter. So much, brethren, more importantly, more godly. Amen? More Christ-like. It's an amazing thing. Again, there's so much here. It's so deep. We can't even hardly begin to grasp or get a hold of it. But these are the principles. These are the things that Paul was looking at. This is what he's doing as he is concerned about the lost, as he's concerned about his brethren who are saved, as he's concerned about these things. What a glorious thing for the Lord to lead him to do. And may he do the same to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, uh, there's so much in in these verses. They're so deep. We thank you this morning for The Apostle Paul, who indeed, well, as we said, (laughs) he appears to be a prisoner of the Roman government, but indeed he is, in actuality, a prisoner of Christ. He is indeed the instrument that you are using to take the gospel and to spread it across Asia, all across the world to the Gentiles. And here we see again, that old satanic trick, and there are many of them, <laughs> it seems so unassuming and yet it is so dangerous. And Father, we thank you that you had some wise elders there at the church in Jerusalem. We thank you that James, who was a leader of the church as he was at the Jerusalem Council, that they had settled all of these salvific matters the teachings to the Gentiles, all of that was settled and they indeed referred back to that. And that through what Paul did as he again submitted to the elders there in a very real sense as he went ahead and purified himself and took part in the vow and also paid for the sacrifices for each man. Again, not sacrifices of salvific nature, not not in atonement or salvation, but rather in the idea of being set apart, of being holy, being sanctified. And so, Father, we thank you for this example of who really, Paul really could have just been stern and hard-nosed and really would have been hard-hearted knowing that He had the liberty to do it, to do these things and to set a great example for us. There are some things that you cannot compromise on. There are some things you just cannot do. Anything that's essential. Who God is. What the Bible is. What the gospel is. Who Jesus Christ is. No compromise, none whatsoever. And of course, we see that example in Paul. <laughs> he never compromised a one stroke. But where there is the mature Christian, where they're able by the Spirit of God to do that, which is they've been called to do, which then sets an example and brings unity and those things amongst the brethren. What a glorious thing. As Jesus himself said. They will know you. By your love. The love you have for one another. Father this is a good example of that. Paul putting his own desires. His own thoughts. To a large degree aside. And loving the church. And loving the gospel. And loving the brethren. He did a great and glorious thing. Setting that example. And we thank you for that. May we do the same. As we endeavor to. Keep the unity and the peace in the church. May we humble ourselves and do the same and be the same. Father, we ask now and pray all of these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's holy name. Our Savior, our Lord, the one who came and put on flesh and lived a perfect sinless life. Went to the cross and as Isaiah tells us that it pleased you to crush him. He was crushed there. He shed his lifeblood for the church, and he rose again, as Paul wrote in the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. And now, fathers, we gather round the table to proclaim that glorious truth. We ask that you would be glorified, that your son would be lifted on high, and that the Holy Spirit of God would indeed sink these things deep down into our hearts and minds. We ask and pray these things in your son's name and all God's people said.